Hi, this is Sunny, and this is a Sunny Look at the Bible. Our new study is called Adding Jesus to Your Today. Every week for six weeks, we're going to learn how to add Jesus to every trial and trauma. In fact, especially in every trial and trauma, it is an opportunity to add Jesus. Now, I believe life doesn't happen to us. Life happens for us. But let's talk about how that works and how that works for you. Let's start now right into adding Jesus to your today. Okay, so we are going to talk today about generations. Generations. So did you know that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament concludes the very last book of the very, um, and the very last verse of the Old Testament, because the Bible is split into two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Testament looks longer, um, looks bigger because um, it just is. And the New Testament looks and is shorter. But the very last verse of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 6, says, uh, he, God, will convince parents to look after their children. This is in the last days. And children will look up to their parents. If they refuse, I'll come and put a la- their land under a curse. Urgh. So that's a heavy verse, but it ends Old Testament. Okay, so let me recap as we get into generations and we get into generational transference that we're going to talk about today. And like I said, have a pen and paper with you because I would like for you to be processing. And uh, at the end, you're really going to be processing things that have to do with your family, not just your mom and dad, but your grandparents and your great grandparents, your uncles, your cousins. We're going to talk about family because it does have to do with generations. And then what we are living in right now is we're a part of a generation that there will come a generation after us. So there is transference to the generation yet to come. Super important topic. But I want to recap why the last two chapters or last week's uh, week one session, I shared my story most of my story or part of my story, but I talked about roots of bitterness. I talked about how we can have roots of bitterness that have grown in our life. And so you heard me talk about my high school years and the roots of bitterness that really tangled my heart and kept me from going back to my hometown, never going to a high school reunion because the bitterness I had over a fence that really was caused um, by people and hurt me very much just actually made me more bitter and the roots had tangled around my heart. Then we talked about triggers, that that there are triggers that, um, well, well, like if I would have went back to my hometown when I still had roots of bitterness, what would trigger that is the thought of my hometown or being in my hometown, maybe a certain street, a certain location, uh, the smell of something in my hometown that can be a trigger that triggers an emotion. But typically the emotion, we have to follow all the way to the root because uh, we're triggered by something. And then we have to figure out why does that emotion come up? What happened? And we search for that memory so that we can find healing. The other thing that triggers are valuable for is that you may not know. For me, I already know my hometown was a trigger. The thought of my hometown, what happened to me in my hometown was a trigger. Uh, But what about if I'm triggered by something random, like uh, 
certain, like the name, the name Heather or the name Frank. And anytime I hear it, there's, I get this emotion. Or what if a certain street I drive down triggers an emotion in me that is helpful to realize I'm having an emotion, but that's probably not the root emotion. It's a response or a manifestation of something, maybe other emotions or events. So we talked about uncovering some of that. So we will continue to uncover some things with going into generational transference. And that's why it's important that I point out the Old Testament talked about, uh, talked about generations and how important it was. It talked about parents and children. And then 400 years later, the New Testament, its opening verse is about generational legacy again. And this is this is the God-breathed, inspired scripture of the Bible. And so what that shows me, if God will end with talking about family and he'll begin the New Testament with talking about family, that it's a pretty important thing. Not a pretty, it is important. But because um, God believes in generational blessing, what God wants for us is to have a, a generational blessing from one generation to the next. Like that would be that would be his ultimate desire for us. However, we have free will. Our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents, they have free will. Our uncles have free will. So just because God's desire is that we live in a generational blessing of good people raised us, who also our parents were raised by good people, because of free will, uh, there can be generational uh, curses. So when you have one, you can also have the other. So this is a generational bent that will happen from one generation to the other. The way in which people uh, raise us is how we will tend to raise our children. But if you had a Jesus-loving, Bible-following parent or grandparent, you may be living in a generational blessing. That's awesome. But the verses that talk about generational legacy and um, and the Bible does talk about curses and blessings is because a generational transference is going to happen whether it's good or bad. So unfortunately, where there's generational blessing, there can also logically be generational curses. I, I heard this quote. This was my in my original Jesus Plus Life book, and I'm writing a new one. I don't know if that will have the same title, but I'm rewriting and doubling the length and actually just feel like I'm completely rewriting it. But I, I quoted this in that in the first Jesus Plus Life book, and it's an eerie quote. It's that Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. Even though that sentence jarred me and it's probably jarring to you. And I like to say it because I think it jars us into reality. Uh, I don't, I like that it jars us, but I don't like about that quote is that it communicates that we're trapped in generational curse of blood relatives. And that's simply not true. Uh, yes, we're left void of, of hope when we don't have a savior, but Jesus is our savior. And when we accept him, and, and here's the thing, our grandparents or parents may never have accepted Jesus. So they, they don't transfer goodness and Jesus to us, but we can be the beginning of starting a new generational bent, which can be that I accept Jesus. And then I have to deal with some problems from how I was raised. And so the Holy Spirit is the, is what Jesus left us when he ascended back up into heaven after he died, resurrected, came back and then left again. He said, I'm leaving the Holy Spirit with you as a comforter and a counselor. So, I mean, when I hear counselor, that makes 
makes me think like sit on a couch and have a counselor help me. And truly the Holy Spirit is that it's here's the thing. I don't think that we shouldn't get a human counselor. I totally, totally believe in journey to wholeness life skills, which is basically the precursor to when we wrote um, and Becky wrote journey to wholeness is about having um real life, real counsel. And that could be in a facilitated group of people, one-on-one with someone, totally believe that. And the Holy Spirit, in the times we're not sitting with that counselor on the couch, the Holy Spirit is our counselor and our comforter. The Holy Spirit is not the one to yell at us. The Holy Spirit confronts things in our life, but also confronts the hurt and the pain and, and comforts us in that. So the Holy Spirit is important as we've gone through roots of bitterness, triggers of emotions, and now for sure, generational bents. Uh, because here's the thing, the wickedness of a parent's behavior can be something that one, we don't want to admit because then we can start to feel different about our parents and we want to continue to have a good relationship or some semblance of a relationship. But when we don't recognize that some of our parents or our family's uh, behavior was not good, that it was maybe just a little off all the way to straight wickedness. Wickedness is a strong word, but again, I want to jar you into really uh, exposing some memories and some thoughts. So here's the thing. Psychologically for a child, a parent's voice is the voice of God to them. That's good or bad. That is a reality. To a baby in the womb, the voice of the of of the parent is the only audible voice they hear. When they're born, they recognize the parent's voice. When they're three years old, what what a child learns is normal or is correct is what the parent says. So some of us have been have been raised by unhealthy parents who they acted a certain way. They modeled it, which is huge. They modeled something that wasn't godly or they gave us poor advice. They gave us poor advice to negative situations. Uh, we were sitting with our friend, Rabbi Matt, who was in town, who did the podcast, a rabbi and a pastor walk into a cultural crisis. And, and he flew in and they did four podcasts. So you can binge listen to all of those podcasts now. Um, a rabbi and a pastor walk into a cultural crisis. I highly recommend it. It was Sean, it was Pastor Matt, or Rabbi Matt, and then Pastor Scott. And he said that he right now he's going through counseling. He's going through something actually very similar to our journey to wholeness. And he said, what I'm learning is that my, my parents, with great intentions, they were actually rabbis. His dad was a rabbi, and they're uh, ra- what I'm trying to think of what the name I, by next time I will remember to ask Laura, Matt's wife, what is the female of the rabbi called? Cause it's a really cool name. Anyway, his, his mom would tell him if they don't like you, um, that's their problem. They have issues. So Matt said, the problem is, is my mom with good intentions didn't finish the sentence and he stopped. And I went, wait, say that again. She didn't finish the sentence. She was trying to comfort Matt, but she didn't finish the sentence. It was basically, if they're mean to you, that's their problem. They're they're bad people. He said, the real sentence should be, if they have a problem with you, they're either, it's their issue and 
they need to deal with it, blah, blah, blah. Or what did you do, Matt? Like, did you instigate it? And he said, so what happened is I heard, if they don't like me, it's their problem. So he said, I just didn't care how I came across to anyone, what I said to anyone. I didn't have, like, I've, I never had a, oh, I wonder if that hurts somebody. Because he said, to me, what my mom said is kind of like, if they don't like it, that's them. And he said, that wasn't the full sentence. So, you know, that that sounds like a comforting statement. I feel like I've said that to my kids, like, oh, they're just jealous of you. Well, then do I walk into life thinking, one, everybody's jealous of me when that's not true? Or I peg that on somebody and in a situation in adulthood that's not even relevant because that's the command that I heard or the truth I thought was true because it was the voice of my parents. So I viewed it as that is truth. It's the voice of God. Some parents give negative advice advice um, that just, it really sounds foolish when you talk about it. But what happens is it can skew our view of God. So if your parents have said things like, well, I don't know why, why, bad things happen to good people. You will hear that as, is that the voice of God? And it skews our view of God. Also, if you have an abusive father, if you have a verbally abusive mother, if you have um, just things that you think are normal, that can make you look at God in a way that is unhealthy. And so I want to give you, if you need permission, I'm going to give you permission to go there. I'm, I'm giving you permission to go there and you, I'm not going to make you in no way am I going to ask you to be disloyal. And you need to know that when you consider dysfunction that was in your generations before you, you're not being disloyal to think about it, to recognize it. That was my fear is, is that if, if I expose more of the truth that I kind of know about my family, but I say it to myself even, I'm being disloyal or will I skew how I look at my parents? But here's the deal. We are, we are looking at our parents or our relatives sometimes in one way, it's skewing our view of God, but we're okay to stay that way. That's not okay. I'd rather take the risk of, of viewing my family different than I always have, but actually growing and healing and then being a better parent, wife, husband for future generations. So consider this your permission. I'm not going to ask you to call up a parent or a family member after this week and tell them all you think about them. I'm actually going to ask you to process this quietly and privately. Uh, That's what I love about this being online is that you're not required to, in a group right now, say, yeah, my mom, yeah, my dad, my uncle did this, my sister. You don't have to do any of that. In fact, you're going to do pen to paper. You're going to be writing this on um, a notebook or a prayer journal, but this is for you. Uh, Don't worry about being disloyal just because you uncover layers of hurt, trauma, or even just little small memories that you experienced at the hands of your family because awareness is the first step. Let me borrow from last week. I said something that I think is worth repeating. I said, step one of any type of healing is remembering, becoming aware. Step two is following that emotion to the root, the point of trauma. Now, step three that we're going to talk about today is forgiving. Forgiveness feels almost impossible on several fronts though, because so those are step one, two, three, we're in step three of forgiveness. And this is the problem with forgiveness. It goes against our human nature. Number two, forgiveness uh, makes us feel like there's a chance others may never know we forgave their offense. So like, I'm going to go through all this work and they never know. Well, yeah, that's okay because sometimes that's exactly how it should be. 
And then the third thing about forgiveness that's difficult is we may feel hurt and we're, we feel like, are we setting ourselves up to feel hurt again as we watch God bless the offender as if they've never sinned against us in the first place. Like you feel like if you hold them hostage to your anger towards them, then that feels better rather than you forgive and then you see them blessed and you're like, okay with that. We find ourselves not only having a hard time forgiving to a person, but also we can find it hard to forgive God. This multiplies the difficulty in forgiving when we're also upset with God. Like, have you found yourself saying something like, God, why didn't you stop them? from hurting me if you were there. Like, why God? So not only are you needing to forgive an offender, but you're needing to forgive God for God not stepping in to that situation. But the devil loves these hurdles. The devil loves all of those three hurdles I just said. And he loves to just remind you of God wasn't there. And I believe, and I believe Satan believes that the deadliest of all human interactions is holding an offense. He knows he can just grip us. He can remind us. He can throw the thoughts in our head. So let's talk about unforgiveness because many people would say, well, I've heard unforgiveness is sin. Or I've heard, if you don't forgive and forget that sin, this is, this is what is true. Deliberate unforgiveness. Like if, if you don't even have a full memory of something and you're like, gosh, I haven't forgiven on some things, but like, I don't really remember it all. Well, when you remember, when you uncover them, which will be part of your healing, you'll forgive. Deliberate unforgiveness is a sin. And deliberate unforgiveness is when we have set our hearts to stone and we vow that we're never going to forgive. We're never even going to consider forgiving that person. Like, Oh, I'll forgive this and this, but that I, I will never forgive. I've heard, I've heard, um, great. I wouldn't say pastors and Christians, but I've heard great influencers say that is unforgivable. And you know what? Nothing is unforgivable. Like how I live today, yesterday, tomorrow or when I lived in the worst part of my seasons of life, none of it was unforgivable. It's all forgivable by God, and God asks us to forgive too. But one thing that forgiveness is not, it's, it's not forgetting. So here's where we get caught. We, we go, well, I thought I forgave them, but I think about it all the time, so I must not have forgiven because I keep remembering, and I thought we're supposed to forgive and forget. And the, the task of forgiving and forgetting feels so um, overwhelming that we just give up on both. We give up on forgiving and forgetting because we can't forget. Well, we won't forget. God forgets. We can't forget. In fact, uh, Jesus said that, uh, or God said, I will, let me, Micah 7, 19. Once again, you, God, will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. He forgets. He literally, why? Because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. And it is possible for him to forget. And you go, that's impossible that he forgets. He knows everything. How's that possible? Because he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. Our mind are not, is not like his mind. His mind is not like ours. Ours is, ours is finite. Uh, we can't figure it all out. His is infinite. And so he can forget, but we're still remembering. But we will remember. We don't, we aren't, we're not able to physically as a human forget, but we're not asked to forget. God forgives and forgets. 
we are to forgive. So then in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And he's really like, like, I think I got this figured out a lot, right, God? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times. I'm sure we're pretty sure he did the, but 77 times. Some versions say 70 times seven which is a lot. It's, and they're talking the same brother, the same person. Of course, we're supposed to, we, we could get that, yeah, I'm supposed to forgive a lot of times throughout my life, but one person over and over and over. But it didn't say, Peter didn't say, who am I to forgive and forget and you know wipe their slate clean? I don't even know what happened. That wasn't the question. And Jesus didn't say you should forget. Jesus said you're to forgive and you keep forgiving. Here's where boundaries come in. The burden of forgiveness is on you, but the boundaries of relationship with the person who hurt you is also up to you. Let me repeat that because I don't know if you can write that down this quick. Yes, the burden of forgiveness is on you, but the boundaries of relationship with the person who hurt you is also up to you. You get to put the boundaries on the relationship so you forgive and you might have to forgive 70 seven times, 140,000 times. You, you may have to keep forgiving, but it's also up to you to set boundaries because you won't forget. So you need to be wise in your boundaries. So we'll talk about boundaries and relationships, all relationships in a future chapter and a future session. So we're going through my 10 chapter book for this study, but we'll go through this in an upcoming week. But let's stay in the context of your parents and your family in this chapter. Since we're talking generationally, we're talking relationally within the family structure. So what does honoring an abusive parent, um, but also maybe, and when I say abusive, I don't just mean they beat you up, they threw you out of the house. I mean, um, abusive or a parent who didn't uh, react, treat, uh, model Jesus. Okay. This also could be, how do you honor someone who's a cousin, a sibling? Now we're only asked in the, the big 10, the 10 commandments, which are still relevant just because they're in the old Testament does not mean they are not relevant. So the, the 10 commandments are still relevant. Well, we are asked to honor our mother and father. We're not asked to honor our uncle. And this, I've heard this a lot. Parents are forcing um, like a child that was abused by an uncle or a cousin or some family member to honor that family member. Listen, God's not asking that. God asked you to honor your mother and father. He didn't ask you to honor the uncle. Now, if your parents, because I, I mean, I feel like, why is this such a constant story I hear from different people that, well, my uncle, because it's my mom's brother, he did this to me, but they didn't believe me or they didn't want to cause a problem in the family. So he, they kept inviting him to family functions, but then I felt uncomfortable. I had multiple uncles who nothing sexual happened, nothing physical happened, but they were so verbally and emotionally demeaning, um, so mean to me. And it, they, they would do it in front of people and get a laugh. And it's almost like this, like, if you're an uncle, can I just tell you, please be kind to your nieces and nephews. I don't know if there's this weird rite of passage that uncles feel like it's their job to like, to tease or you know, they say, oh, I'm just teasing. I'm just razzing you. And there's some major pain. I think 
teachers can have a, a huge effect on kids for the rest of their life. It's another story I hear often of people who say, I had a third grade teacher or I had a fifth grade teacher say, you'll never be anything. Teachers, you have power. Uncles, you have power. And moms and dads, you sure have power. You tell your kid that they got a lazy eye or they got a, a, a dimple in their chin and it's ugly. They will live with that for the rest of their life. Mom and dad, be careful. And you, as a mom and dad, be careful what you're saying. This is where that generational transference continues. And so, but what the Bible asks, what God tells us to do is honor our mother and father. It doesn't ask us to honor our siblings, our cousins, when they're, they've um, hurt us, intentionally hurt us, right? Okay, the other thing uh, is that honoring doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with your mom or dad and go to coffee every Saturday morning. Honoring is that you're not going to blast them and treat them poorly or try to uh, retaliate for all of the years you were a kid. That's honoring. Honoring is that you may have boundaries. You may, uh, you may not have them over all the time, but that on holidays, if it would hurt them, and they would sit alone, that you honor them by being with them on a holiday or having them over or going and seeing them. Honoring is that you do send them a card on their birthday. You do call them because that's honoring. Honoring doesn't mean that you just act like you want them in your life all the time if they're not good for you, your children, their grandchildren. But Honoring starts with a willingness to forgive. That's step one of honoring is forgiveness. You can't harbor unforgiveness uh, and start to honor because you're going to be pushing through like pushing through mud. Pray for your parents. Uh, here's another couple tips for this of honoring. Let go of expectations that your parents will ever be the parent you want him or her to be. That's a form of honoring. Let go of the expectation that they need to change. Replace your disappointment and sadness with an acceptance of who that person is. Are they better than they could be had they not tried to be better than their parent? Like um, I've heard of people who are like, well, my mom was, you know, there was incest in her home. Her brothers were abusive. Her dad beat the kids. So when she raised me, at least she didn't sexually abuse us. At least she didn't beat us up. Um, hers were just words. Now, you that's why we're uncovering this because yes, that's a step forward for her to not do those other things. But you still don't have to go back for punishment just because she's doing better than her, her dad raised her. Uh, and you can't just be off the hook to go, well, at least I don't physically abuse her. At least I'm not an alcoholic. My kids got it good, but you're still not honoring Jesus. And so, so the, the honoring thing is that you replace your disappointment for acceptance of who they are. Maybe this is good as they're going to get without receiving Jesus or with Jesus, they're growing, but, but the, the parent they were was the best that they could be with what they had uh, for tools. Cultivate an attitude of compassion for the things your parents did right. Maybe you need to write, not a letter to your mom or dad, but maybe you need to write down, I remember doing this, taking a journal page 
and writing down things that my mom did really well, things my dad did really well. And I stopped myself before I wrote anything they did really bad because those were the other letters where I would write a letter to them and never send it. And some things it was, it was honestly too childish for that third grade memory that my parents didn't intend for that to happen. Um, they, they didn't mean to, I didn't need to send them a letter. Many letters that you need to write to people and we'll talk about this too at the end about doing this, you're not needing to send them, but you are needing to process this. And uh, so, but there's times, and this is a good, a good way of honoring your parents is to set, you know, wherever your mind space is, is usually how you act. So if your mind space before you're going to see your parents on a holiday is to write down everything that your mom did good, everything your dad did really great or who they are, that the really good part, you'll walk into the room and you'll probably have an easier time of honoring them, which makes it easier on you selfishly. Uh, but going into a room to honor your parents, when you just got off the phone with your sibling talking smack about them is only going to make it awkward. Think about the people that after you've gossiped about them, then you see them the next day in the grocery store and you just would rather crawl in a hole or think about the people that you see that you didn't say anything about them, but they see like, they look like they saw a ghost or they look like they want to run and hide. And you go, ah, I bet they've been talking about me because that look on their face was like, Oh God, that's what we don't want to have when we're trying to honor our parents. Remember this, you can only fix yourself. And some of us, we just need to create the gener generational blessing from here forward. We don't need to try to fix them. We need to fix us and fix us for future generations. Many of us don't need to worry about what our background says about us. We need to start clean now. We need to concern ourselves with what we still say about our background. Now, here's the thing. You could take that quote that I just said. I'm going to read it again. Many of us don't need to worry about what our background says about us. We need to concern ourselves with what we still say about our background. Now, this could be permission for you to say, see, this is why I don't need to go back to my past, my memories, my childhood. I don't need to think about it because I just need to move forward. But the problem is many of us are stuck. We can't move forward because we're not healed. We're still a 13-year-old little girl that is not healed from what our dad did when he walked out on us or what he said to us that was so hurtful. We, we are a 12 year old little boy who our mom spoke death over us and we're trying to just move forward, but we haven't dealt with that 12 year old little boy's incidents. And so this is why we have to journey through the healing and we're going to timeline. In fact, we're going to timeline about our life and we will remember things that will require additional forgiveness. And I know you're thinking right now, come on, Sonny. I have forgiveness to work out on some things I'm aware of. You're asking me to timeline my life, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that in a minute, and dig into the layers of my past so I can have more. Like, I don't need this. I don't need this right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic that we think we thought we were on the back or the, the tail end of. We actually are being told we're in the smack middle of it. You're like, I don't have time for this. I don't have energy for this, and I'm telling you, the only thing I can say about healing from your past is that it's always too late. Um, my daughter is 15. She's doing Journey to Wholeness right now. It's not too late, but man, if she was 12 and doing this, this would have been better. She could have been dealing with the things that happened when she was five and eight and nine at 12. She would have life happen and she'd need to process, but she'd have the tools of forgiveness. So the first step's awareness, you know, then uh, the, the second step of the third step, the fourth step, she'd have all of the tools, right? 
well, she's going through it at 15. So I'm glad she's going through it at 15 because she'll heal from anything pre-15 and then she'll have the tools for going forward. Uh, and, but as a, as a 42 year old, I'm glad I went through my healing at, how long ago was it now? 32, 32, 33. But my only regret on forgiveness, on healing, on going through the layers is that I didn't do it sooner. I did. That's the only regret you'll have is that you didn't do it sooner. So we're going to dig into the layers of memories because our brain neurologically makes up stories about the bad comments or the looks from a teacher or the things that happened as a kid. And it already made up a story that probably wasn't true. So you have to dig back into even the littlest memories to rewrite the story, but with truth, with the adult brain you have. That's why we have to go back to kids' memories because our brain neurologically makes up a story when we as a kid didn't know why this didn't make sense. In fact, our brain rewards us immediately with dopamine for creating a story for the why we were treated poorly, even if that story is false and fatal to our emotions. So, you know, if I in second grade had a teacher who didn't like me and then in and said a lot of mean things. But then in third grade, I had a teacher that said a lot of mean things. It, my brain rewarded me with dopamine, like, oh, that's why, by me telling myself, I'm just a, I'm just a kid teachers don't like. Okay, now I can move on to the rest of my third grade year. My brain rewarded me because my brain neurologically made up a story when in fact, Second grade teacher may have been going through a divorce and was miserable and really didn't like kids anymore. The third grade teacher maybe didn't like me because I was best friends with her daughter and then we weren't best friends. And then she wanted to take, she needed to take sides and she sided with her daughter and then didn't. But all teachers not liking me was my story I concluded with when that wasn't true. So then when teachers did like me in middle school and high school, I didn't, as a kid, retrain or rewire my brain to fix that. I just thought it was odd that those teachers liked me because the thing that I knew that I had made up in the story is that teachers don't like me. The story that our brain would create in your, in your previous years or have, has created now, uh, the story becomes our own conspiracy theory. And which a conspiracy theory by definition is a story with limited data points filled with our own theories. And when you're a kid making up your own story, we don't have a lot of life experience. And when we didn't have parents that maybe, maybe you didn't have parents that were Jesus' parents. Maybe you never went to church. You didn't have good coming in. You only had negative or you only had neutral to negative coming in. So the data points as a kid to fill in the, the story weren't even godly data points. So are you willing to let Jesus show you what happened? I'm going to see what time it is. Great. We have time here. This can be a scary hurdle, but the healing comes through the recognition of what happened. In fact, did you know that 90% of each healing comes from remembering the words or events, speaking it out loud, that it wasn't your fault and letting your brain naturally rewire as it hears the truth. So it is great if you could process this with someone. It would be great if you could write down the things on your timeline. It would be great if you could write a letter to the teacher that was in second grade that you don't even know where she is, you'll never send it. You write it, you leave it in your journal, you write it, you look at it, you read it. And the best thing would be to read it out loud. Maybe read it out loud to yourself. Your brain is so intelligent 
that you will have chemicals released that have been stopped at the point of trauma when you speak out the things and your adult brain can file away those memories and make the correct story. And you'll read about what the second grade teacher do and your adult brain will say, that's really awful to say to a second grader, that is wrong. Your brain will tell, your adult brain will tell that, that arrested and development kid brain that all teachers don't like you because it's your fault. Your adult brain will say, no, that's wrong for an adult teacher to say to a child. Now your brain begins to rewire. This is, this is not just my theory. This is scientifically proven your brain will rewire. Chemicals will be released when you have certain memories, when you process those, when you speak those out or write them down and you see them for what they are. Your brain now will write the right story, the correct story. It is fascinating that you will feel the fix, F-I-X, the fix in discovering what pain or tragedy from our past is that now the root of our emotional brokenness. That's straight from my book. It is fascinating that you will feel the fix in discovering what pain or tra- tragedy from our past is now the root of our emotional brokenness. So I, when I went through basically journey to wholeness, Sean and I went through it. I kept thinking, okay, I had that memory. I timelined. I found out what happened when I was three and when I was four. Okay, now what? Like, is the next class, is the next study going to be, okay, now this is what you do to fix it. And then we'd move on to the next portion of, of our, our course. And I thought, wait, I thought we were going to deal with that. And what I, what I discovered and they told us, but what I saw happen is that remembering it, acknowledging it, writing about it, maybe processing that with Sean or with my sister, like this happened and this, this, this 90% of the fix and the healing happened in that moment. The other 10% comes through a deliberate forgiveness, uh, a a deliberate understanding that this will pop up and this will hurt me. And I have to remind myself, what is the truth? What did I discover is the truth? So are you willing to go through these layers? We're going to dig into the past. In fact, we're only a third of the way through our study. And yet we're going to go somewhere very deep, which is layers of digging into our past. So if you'll take a piece of paper and you will, or your prayer journal, I love my prayer journal because then I always know I can go back to it. I'll never wonder what happened to that piece of paper. It's in my prayer journal. It's like a, it's a timeline literally of my life, my prayers, my desires, my fears, my wants, and then my answered prayers. So if you'll take a piece of paper or your prayer journal or a notebook and you'll do one straight line, and then you may want to do turn the page over, do another straight line and turn the page over, do another straight line. Depending on how old you are, depends on how long your line needs to be. So at 42, I probably need three pages of one straight line. Then do little hash marks, little, little marks along it. You feel me? One long line, little timeline, hash marks. Okay. You can do it top and bottom of that. Kind of like when you see a chronological thing about you know, a timeline of American history, 1840, 1850, 1870, and then right out to the side, right out to the side, these things, pre-birth, like when you were in the womb, right? Because there are things, if your mom was in a car accident, when she was pregnant with you, you may, it may not be that you're afraid of cars now, that's not what I'm saying, but you may struggle with uh, anxiety, you may have um because the emotions of the mother would have and the chemicals would have 
like cortisol, that would have also rushed you, rushed to you if you had parents who you were a whoops baby, you weren't supposed to happen, or maybe your parents weren't together, it was a one night stand. That is something that does affect you. If you had a baby that was an oops baby, and you said to everybody the whole time you're pregnant, I mean, this wasn't planned. There are, there is some trauma and some of you are going to go, I don't want to know that. Okay. I don't want to know that because I did that. I did that. And what did I do to my child? Well, if they ever heard you say it, or it's ever gotten back to them now that they're more grown, that you said that you need to go to them and you need to say when you were, when I was pregnant with you or when your mom was pregnant with you. It wasn't planned. And we said that, and I know you know that, and we've said that, but you need to know that was our own shock, but our own immaturity to even let that come out of our mouth because nothing is an accident. And you're obviously not an accident. You're wonderful. You will heal that child. You're saying that too. You may need to say that to yourself. You know what? I obviously wasn't on accident to God may have been on accident to my parents. They may never address this with me. I mean, you don't need to confront your parents about it, but you need to go through the process of thinking about that. So you would in pre-birth with that little hash mark, you'd say, I was an oops baby, or, um, I never knew my dad. He, he dipped before I ever was born or I was adopted. I don't know either parent. That's all important stuff that you need to write outside birth. Did something, were you a C-section baby? Were you um, overdue? Was it traumatic? Did your mom almost die? Did you, did you have a hard time? Were you a preemie? Were you born in the home? Were you, like Isaiah was apart from me for four hours because of a C-section and then they had to put me to sleep because I was like my anesthesia or my epidural was rubbing off, wearing off. So they put me to sleep. So it was four hours before I got to hold Isaiah. Like, I hate that. Um, and so I've had to process, is there anything that I need to connect with Isaiah on a, a deeper level now or talk about something? Talk about that because there was this disconnect for four hours. Uh, toddler development. So you're going to you go through it. You can go every, you can go birth, pre-birth, birth, infancy, toddler, and then you can go five-year-old and then you can think about it. Okay. Yeah. I've got a memory with seven-year-old. Okay. Fourth grade. Mine was random. It'd go from four years old. My first memory, I think I was one and a half years old. And then it skipped to like, I was five. And then it went to second grade. It doesn't have to be pretty. You can skip around middle school elementary school, high school, college, adulthood, parenting your kids, being an empty nester. Like these are all moments in your life. Being middle age, if you're a senior, right? What What's going on right now? Because we can have traumas and trials outside of childhood. They can be happening even now. Second step is write a sentence next to each stage that as you remember something significant that happened to you. Now this timeline or multiple pages of timelines with hash marks, this is just like things that pop in your head. And these could be good things. Like I won the science fair in third grade. I felt this way. Put that as a hash mark. That was, that did something. It's not just bad trauma. That is timelining something. Maybe that's the point you felt like, you know what? I could do something great in life. And I say that because in third grade, I won the science fair from first to eighth graders were the only ones allowed to be in. And I won in third grade, the science fair. And I remember thinking it was in Hewlett, Wyoming. And I think there were probably 120 kids in the whole school. But what that did for me is it gave me confidence that for the first time that maybe I could do something bigger than I even thought. 
That's an important thing on my timeline. So then write a sentence. If you have room next to each stage that maybe something came out, now you're going to start to run out of room. So then you'll use any pages that follow or a simple notebook and begin to write your questions to God and feelings about any time that you were hurting during your timeline. So if you your first memory was you got spanked so hard and put in your room that you felt fearful and the room felt dark to you, but you remember being a baby in a crib, begin to write about that. Like, God, why would my mom do that? Or dad, why did you do that? You're not sending these letters, but write that, write all of your feelings, record your anger, your grief, your confusion, all of your emotions as though you're writing a letter to Jesus himself or to the person that had a part in that. Then next, where were there moments on your timeline that there was rejection? Write a letter to the person that rejected you. You won't mail it. Were there times on your timeline you felt confusion? Write a letter to your younger self explaining what you now know about that time of confusion and what that really meant because hindsight's twenty twenty. Go through your timeline. This is going to take all week. You'll still probably be processing this, processing this weeks from now. That's fine. Work through this. And then for me... Like, really, I should go back in timeline from the time I got done with my journey to wholeness 10, uh, 10 years ago. I should timeline for the last 10 years for things I haven't hash marked and thought, this really hurt me when this friend uh, said this behind my back as an adult woman, this made me feel. And then I probably need to write her a letter and not send it because I will give, I will, I will have forgiveness. I will have healing through that. It is, like I said, psychologically proven that pen to paper is healing. So keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. I'm going to look at questions now. Um, if there are any, I don't think that really I left any questions or left this open for interpretation even. Uh, I want you to timeline. I want you to write letters. I want you to communicate with Jesus. He can take it. He already knows what's in your mind. He just needs you to admit it. He needs you to process it. He needs you to remember it. I love you guys. I'll see you next week for week three. Remember, you can always watch this on Sunny Hennessy YouTube each week. You can get this every week on A Sunny Look at the Bible, the podcast. And this is the second series we've done on A Sunny Look at the Bible. The first one was on Revelation and End Times. Now, this is adding Jesus to your today. So the podcast, the YouTube, or on replay on Facebook, you for sure can subscribe to all of that. You can share this on Facebook so others can hear. Guys, we're digging deep quick, and we're just going to keep going. So next week, we're actually talking about peacemaking, not peacekeeping, peacemaking. Oh, we're going there. I love you guys.